the only problem is I feel like that the end of the book has not been written yet, you know? Like we're still partway through the story and I'm waiting to see how it ends. Welcome to episode 20B of the You Bet Smart podcast. Chris and Jake are still not in the studio. I think they might have quit on me. Hopefully they come back one day. Well, we got the second half of sports betting law, and this one's going to be about California. It's still with Sean Lempel. He did a bunch of research for California law and sports betting, and uh, we learned a bunch on this one too. Uh, so without further ado, wait. Don't forget to rate this podcast five stars. Subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube video, our YouTube channel. We now have video up. And also follow us on Twitter and all the other social media platforms at YouBetSmart across the board. Enjoy the interview with Sean Lempel, California, U.S. Law. Why can't we get it here in California? What, what's, uh, what's the history of that? Yeah. So California is an interesting situation. We've got, um, I mean, no pun intended, but we've got a lot of stakeholders in California that are, uh, have mutually overlapping and, and, but often very, uh, differentiated interests. And these interests sometimes can align with one another, but often what they do is they conflict with one another because you've got what, I kind of will loosely describe as is uh, a thing called a prisoner's dilemma. A prisoner's dilemma is this notion that comes out of game theory. And a prisoner's dilemma idea says that in a situation where two different people by cooperating could actually benefit both of them. Instead, what unfortunately is human nature is one person tries to help themselves, even though to the detriment of the other, even though it actually helped them more to cooperate. And so a lot of these parties are, they're too concerned with perpetuating their own interests than they are uh, so much so that they are not interested in trying to, trying to cooperate with other stakeholders. And it's only going to be through cooperation of these stakeholders that we're going to see something change. So um, with that said, let me kind of provide some, some background context prior to our 2018 Supreme Court holding to let you know a little bit of, about what California was doing before that. And then with the passage uh, of, uh, or rather with the holding in Murphy v. NCAA, uh, see how things may have changed. So back even before our Supreme Court, uh, Supreme Court holding in 2017, uh, we had essentially um, is California Assemblyman Adam uh, Gray. He uh, had been a long advocate of trying to implement a sports betting regime in California, and he introduced a constitutional amendment uh, to the California Assembly. It's ACA 18. And this was actually while why PASPA was still in effect. So I think he acknowledged and understood at the time that the, the law, the California constitutional amendment would not actually be able to be passed and go into effect because of PASPA. But I think what he intended it as was essentially a placeholder. It would buy time while the Supreme Court was uh, implementing its decision. And, and I think it was already clear at the time in 2017 that the Supreme Court would likely be taking up this issue. And so this amendment would essentially be a placeholder for passage once the Supreme Court 
ruled on on uh, on legalization or not. So what this amendment would essentially do is it would allow for sports betting in California under the discretion of the state assembly. And um, if if it passed, it would have been voted on at that that election that November. So um, this is 2017. So fast forward the next year, 2018, and abolishing following the abolishment of PASPA. Uh, after uh, our uh, Murphy v. NCAA holding, we get ACA 18. So basically, we've got Assemblyman Adam Gray. He instantly jumps once PASPA is abolished. He instantly jumps on the opportunity and even claimed in a, a Sacramento Bee article that the ball is in our court now. So he introduced ACA 18 after the ban uh, was axed. And unfortunately, um, because this was a little bit of a, a, a half-baked solution in so much as it was entirely drafted within the California Assembly. It was not done in consultation with the other stakeholders that I'll discuss momentarily, but it was essentially just the, the California state government's approach to trying to fix this. Because of the lack of buy-in of the other stakeholders, it was unable to get passed. So this is kind of the next notable step that we get in California attempting to try to push this forward. So. Only a month later, after it failed to pass in June 2018, uh, there was a political consultant, Russell, Russell Lowry, and he filed a request with California State Attorney General in hoping of getting it on the 2020 ballot. So this proposal became what was known as the Gaming Fairness and Accountability Act. And this was actually advertised on uh, social media, a little bit on TV, under uh, an organization or moniker that was known as Californians for Sports Betting. Now, unfortunately, for proponents uh, of, of sports betting and, and folks that wanted to get it legalized in California, neither of these efforts were able to make it out of the assembly again because of the lack of stakeholders. And um, this might be a good opportunity for me to briefly discuss who our main stakeholders are here. So we've got uh, on one side, we've got the assembly, California state government. California state government's primary concern when it comes to the regulation of sports betting is generation of tax revenue. They wanna get their share of the pie. They want it to be a, an ongoing source of revenue that they can uh, essentially put into California infrastructure and other state funds in the same way that Nevada does and, and, and New Jersey does. So um, that, that's our first kind of main stakeholder. Our second one, and probably arguably even more powerful, if you can believe it, at least as it involves this issue, even more powerful than the California state government are the loose assemblage of uh, tribes, of uh, various native tribes from California that have uh, sports betting operations and other operations within their reservation casinos. And they, because of the amount of money and influence they have in the state, are likely going to be required to be uh, bought in and, and brought into the solution if any kind of uh, California legislation is going to be successful. So our third major stakeholder would be uh, card rooms. So these are your places like Hustler Casino, things like that that are um, close to casinos, but not entirely. I, I think many Californians are familiar with these kinds of places you'll see Commerce Casino, other places in Southern, Cali Southern California like that. Their concern is they don't want to be left out. They don't want um, they don't want the uh, Indian casinos to basically be the sole outlet for these sports gambling. They they want 
the card rooms to be let in on it. They want to be also getting a piece of the pie. And then the last is our horse racing tracks. So uh, they're not as concerned about getting sports books involved in horse racing tracks, although there are certainly plenty of tracks that would love to be able to take sports bets on track. But I think their main concern is that to the degree legalized sports betting in California may pull some of that that theoretical liquid money that Californians have that they would place on a horse race, they may now decide to place on a sports bet. So it's essentially taking money out of their pocket. So these are our four main stakeholders that we're going to have to get buy-in if uh, you know if there's going to be any kind of solution here. So in other states is I don't know if you know this, but if in other states do they, do they come across a similar situation or a similar problem where there's multiple stakeholders? Absolutely. Absolutely. And this, this is not even specific to the issue of sports gambling. This is generally any kind of uh, hot button or uh, a large scale issue has many overlapping stakeholders. And it's only by getting a coalition of stakeholders together that you can get any kind of movement on something. And this is just a, it's a feature of, of democracy. It's a feature of a system, um, especially in California, where, uh, and I'll talk about this uh, in a little bit, but a lot of the legislation that we get, new legislation we get in California, actually comes through our proposition uh, system, the, the means by which you can get uh, signatures to get a bill on the ballot and get the ballot voted, the ballot initiative voted on directly by the voters. This is even a more direct form of democracy than you get in your traditional system where you elect your representative, your representative proposes legislation and they vote on it within the legislature. This is even a more direct form of democracy and any kind of democracy requires buy-in from a bunch of people to get things passed. It's not, it's not a bug, it's a feature. It's intended to be that way, to create a society where one small portion of society does not have disproportionate power over others, that it requires enough buy-in from enough people to get something done or changed. So yes, other states are in essentially the same boat we are. The only difference between one state or another would be the relative power and influence that tribes have versus the state government, versus card rooms, versus horse racing tracks. It just so happens, and this is probably uh, a, an aspect or um, it's probably a feature of the fact of our state being so large in population, being such a large economy and having so much money here that uh, for whatever reason, people tend to, they like gambling and they don't necessarily always wanna to go to Vegas. So I, I, I don't know exactly the amount of money, but clearly hundreds of millions of dollars, maybe even billions of dollars are being spent annually statewide at these Indian casinos. And so, Whereas some other states, they're certainly influential stakeholders. In California in particular, the, the Native American casinos are absolutely the chief stakeholder and by far the most influential party to, to get agreement. So um, yeah, that, that's maybe what differentiates, differentiates us a bit from other states, but in the same vein, I will also say that other states suffer from the same uh, need to get buy-in from different people. So um, the, the next kind of step in our chronology is we had ACA 16. So this was um, a, another constitutional amendment being proposed. 
So, um, and there was also the California Sports Wagering Regulation and Un Unlawful Gambling Enforcement Act. It's a very long name, but basically this is the first sign of a major breakthrough in California of sports betting legislation. And it came in June 27, 2019, when a, a pair of coinciding sports betting bills were proposed by, again, Assemblyman Gray and Senator Bill Dodd. So this was uh, Adam Gray's third proposal, and this time it's known as ACA 16. It would, quote, authorize the legislature by a statute to authorize and provide for regulation of sports wagering. However, because we're talking about a constitutional amendment, it's not just a simple majority, i.e. 51% need to pass it. It requires what's called a supermajority, and a supermajority is two-thirds. So in order to pass this, two-thirds of the state's legislature would need to support it in order to get it on the ballot. So nearly four months later, on November 14, 2019, it was announced that at least 18 Californian tribes had uh, collaborated to file a petition referred to as the California Sports Wagering Regulation and Unlawful Gambling Enforcement Act, again a mouthful, but this was their attempt to get sports betting on the ballot without having to go through the state general assembly. Now this proposal included a 10% tax rate and a clause that would prevent bettors from wagering on in-state college teams, but it gave zero mention to mobile sports betting and this is mainly because the tribes were essentially trying to uh, push for more retail wagering at their brick and mortar casinos. This was an attempt to get folks to come to the uh, Indian casinos to place these sports bets. It was not a means of trying to allow these casinos to have their own online sports betting platforms. Basically just get folks through the door, you know, once they're there to make a sports bet, Maybe they'll also, you know, put some money on the blackjack table. Maybe they'll, you know, place some money on the slots. They'll stay at our resort, et cetera. So uh, this was mainly an effort to, to benefit them as opposed to generally allow for sports betting. Now, this proposal um, to, to get on the ballot would require about a million signatures. Um, and it, they needed it by June 25th, 2020. So... And, and they only proposed it on November 14th, 2019. That's not a lot of time. So, uh, you know, I think we all know this, but early 2020 is when COVID hits, uh, I believe it was like March or April, whatever it was. And this was just, you know, the death knell to, the, to this, particular, uh, this particular piece of legislation for the purely procedural reason that because everyone's in their homes and, and are not out at the grocery stores and um, you know maybe outside of sporting events, which are the traditional places that uh, these tribes would have gone to try to solicit signatures to get the million signatures they needed, because of COVID nineteen and people staying in, it became impossible for them to get the required million signatures they needed. So this proposed legislation uh, was just it didn't go forward. They didn't even get it on the ballot. So this brings us to relatively the present and by present i mean last year so last year was the last time we get some real meaningful possibility of getting sports betting legislation on the books in california and this came in the form of two propositions proposition 26 and proposition 27. just to again recap the propositions as opposed to traditional legislation which is uh, entirely proposed by a legislator, voted on within the legislature, and signed by the governor, 
proposition system is a form of direct democracy where you basically just need to get enough signatures. And once you get the signatures, you get your bill on the ballot. There's no intervention from the legislature needed. As long as you get a simple majority of voters voting on the proposition, it passes. And so it's generally seen as the most likely mechanism that California has at least for allowing for sports betting or, or providing for legislation that would authorize it. So let me kind of just briefly explain these two propositions. We got Prop 26. Now Prop 26, that would have allowed tribal casinos and racetracks in California to offer on-site sports betting, although it, it contained no provision for online sports betting. It basically would have opened the door for tribal casinos to offer craps and roulette, and generally speaking, um, provide a at least Vegas-like experience uh, in these Indian casinos. And Californians actually voted down this measure by a more than two to one measure. So the other uh, prop, which is Prop 27, this proposition would have allowed for online sports betting only. And this had the support of your top US legal online sports books like BetMGM, DraftKings, FanDuel, et cetera. So in this Prop 27, there was no provision for retail sports books. And California overwhelmingly voted no on this measure too by 82%. So Prop 26, which would allow for on-site sports betting in the tribal casinos, that lost two to one. Prop 27, that would have allowed for online sports betting and was supported by all the kind of classic draft books or uh, uh, classic sports books that you know that you can bet online with, that failed by an even greater margin. So what's kind of notable about these two props and, and I find rather interesting is um, prior to these two, these two props and prior to last year, we had what was called Prop 22. This is totally unrelated sports gambling, just, just to give you context. Prop 22 was the proposition that was uh, successfully passed in California. And it was um, basically all involved the status of employees in the gig economy being either an employee or an independent contractor. And this was huge, it had absolutely massive financial implications for companies like Uber, Lyft, Postmates, all these other kind of gig jobs that were formerly uh, essentially taking the position that anyone who drives for them is an independent contractor and therefore no benefits that we traditionally associate with employment needed to be provided. So you imagine that companies as wealthy as Uber and Lyft and others stepped in and were really uh, very, very concerned about the passage of this law. And so there was an absolutely unprecedented amount of money that was dumped in to fighting on both sides of Proposition 22. Mind you, this is not, this is not a federal law. This is a California prop, but $226 million were spent on supporting and opposing Prop 22. And that was, in many people's opinion, going to be a nearly un, unbeatable record because who could imagine an issue that could possibly bring in even more money than this? Then we get Prop 26 and 27. And through uh, Cal Matters, which is like a government reporting operation, I found that the campaign committees for and against these two measures, Prop 20, 26 and 27, combined raised more than and spent 
$450 million on supporting and opposing these two ballot propositions, which I mean, blew out of the water the previous record by over $200 million. So we're talking about almost a half a billion dollars were spent on this legal battle. So uh, it, it really goes to show how invested the stakeholders are in getting things to go one way or another, depending on their varying interests. So, um, so is there any hope for California? So the way, the way I would look at it right now is the, if there's going to be legalization in California, the, by far the most likely way that this will come about will be through the proposition mechanism. And that's because to get it through the legislature, through a California constitutional amendment, as I mentioned earlier, will require supermajority in the California assembly, which uh, while California is predominantly uh, essentially dominated by the Democratic Party, even within that party, there's not total buy-in on whether or not sports betting should be allowed. Whereas a lot of issues seem to be very highly politically coded. And if you fall on one side of an issue, you're this party. If you fall on the other side of the issue, you're that party. It, this is a unique situation because it does not, it's not been branded with the same degree of political coding that we see with other issues. And so, you know, simply having a, even a super majority of Democrats in the California assembly is not sufficient to get something like this passed even though you think it might would be. So really the, the likely first step toward legalization here is gonna have to be another vote on a proposition uh, that's either proposed by the legislature or directly by the people of California. Um, and also without any kind of legislative input, it might even require a constitutional amendment. So this essentially means we're gonna have to go and vote again. So I think what will make a future vote that would be theoretically successful, be different than these past votes that were not successful, would have to be a buy-in from all of the stakeholders. And predominantly, it would have to be from the tribal casinos. You're going to have to get some means that will assure the tribal casinos they are not going to lose their very favored status as it relates to sports betting in our state. So I could see some future uh, proposition, theoretically, I'm just kind of thinking about this, speculating on my own here, but I would say probably the most likely proposition that could get passed would be a combination of Prop 26 and 27, which would require, again, an interesting degree of cooperation, because as it existed before, Prop 26 is only supported by the tribal casinos, because it's only allowing for in in casino on-site betting. So why would DraftKings or any of the other sport, online sports books want to spend any money to support that? And then conversely with 27, it only allowed for online sports betting. So, which again, actually takes away theoretically money and, and, and betters from the tribal casinos. So why would they want to support that? The only way that I could see this getting passed is if you combine them and you align the interests of the online sports gambling operations and also provide for in-person on-site sports betting at the Indian casinos, that you could see some coalescence between these, what were at least formerly opposed stakeholders. Now, realistically in the short term, 
I, I don't, uh, the soonest this could be back on the ballot would be 2024. That's the next time that we'll be getting to vote on initiatives. But just in reality, and because um, it's, it's a presidential election, presidential elections are always very, uh, <laughs> they're, they're filled with a, a lot of conflict and, and a lot of things that draw people's attentions away from these specific issues. Um, you know, things are only becoming more so like that over time. So I don't honestly think that we're going to see anything coming up as early as 2024. I, I fear, I hate to tell you guys this, but I'm guessing that it's going to be quite some time again until we see another proposition getting actually onto the ballot and having any likelihood of success. But I guess I always try to look at anything, a situation optimistically, try to find the silver lining here. So the silver lining we have coming out of prop, the, the fallout of Prop 26 and 27 is the clarity that's been provided for everyone. It's not just now clear to me, it's clear to the California Assembly, it's clear to the carb rooms, and it's clear to the horse racing tracks, and it's clear to the online sports betting platforms that the, the only path toward legalization of sports betting in California runs through these tribal entities. So uh, th this is literally being echoed uh, as recently as last month, I was reading about a conference in London that was being conducted on the future of sports betting in the United States. And they were holding a symposium on California in particular. And uh, basically they were even saying that the, the only way that this is gonna happen is to get buy-in from, from the, the, the tribes. So um, I was quoting Jed Kelly, managing director of equity research at Oppenheimer, he told Yahoo Finance that he sees the no vote actually as a net positive though for gambling operations like DraftKings. Because while technically speaking, of course there's no California legislation authorizing sports betting on sites like DraftKings, the reality is, as I said earlier, there's no legislation also specifically prohibiting it. So you get this kind of standoff non-regulation approach. And as a result of that, and given that there's no immediate prospects of legalization of sports betting on the books, actually DraftKings projected its first profitable year, uh, or it's expecting to project its first profitable year in 2024. If you can believe it's been operating at a loss uh, uh, up until now. So um, the, the same uh, in, uh, gentleman, Jed, uh, Jed Kelly, he actually went on to note that in order for sports betting to be legalized, Another aspect of it that we've touched on a little bit, but I think is important is that the legislation will actually probably need to create an even higher tax rate than the 10% proposed tax that was included in the Prop 26 and 27. And this is to get buy-in from the California state legislature. Um, they're obviously the other very essential stakeholder. So who knows how exactly high the proposed tax would be, but it, it likely will need to be higher than 10% uh, if it's going to get buy-in from the states. Wow. Looks like I'm moving to Arizona. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. unfortunately, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm afraid that I'm not actually being a bearer of good news right now. I feel like I'm the bearer of bad news. But uh, I guess, again, looking at a silver lining is there are plenty of ways that you can still um, – legally and you know, safely bet on sports that are not um, prohibited by our laws, let's say. And plus, there are the totally sanctioned and totally legal form of sports betting in the form of fantasy sports that are always available to folks. So 
maybe, yeah, <laughs> maybe move to another state if you want it more immediately for uh, direct sports gambling. But I believe, unfortunately, as it exists now, uh, the status quo is too beneficial to the stakeholders to want to to shake up. I have another question. Yeah. So you said you were talking about the Interstate Wire Act. So basically, we cannot legally place a bet in Nevada online, correct? Uh, for, for a sports book that's based in Nevada currently, yes, that would, that would be the rule, which is why okay. all of your online sports betting books are based overseas. Yeah. Yeah. So like, that's where I, I was, it's getting to my next point. So what if I had, or we had a computer in Nevada and we give the basically command to the computer to run an algorithm and the algorithm picks the picks in Nevada. I don't know. I know we're getting in a gray area there, but. And we did this in 2008. <laughs> <laughs> we did it in 2008. Yeah. So it's not legal advice. Yeah. Uh, no. I, I, this is another, I hate to say it, it's infuriating, I know, but it depends. So um, it depends mainly because there's, there's, I could make an argument on both sides here. I could make the argument that uh, the bet that's maybe being generated by this algorithm that's on a computer based in Nevada is still being uh, actuated and, and it's being created by you, the person in California. So you're what the human it? being responsible for initiating the process, which ends with the sports bet. That, that would be my argument for why it, it would not be allowed under the Interstate Wire Act. You can make the counter argument to say, well, look, I'm not transmitting any sports information or sports betting <laughs> information over state lines, so I'm really not violating it. But um, I think these larger sports books that are really looking to be established, just regular businesses, they don't want to take those kinds of risks. You know, they, that you're really you're risking um, a judge or a jury deciding with you or against you, which, you know, is not, not really in the, uh, not in comport, does not comply with the fiduciary duty of these companies to maximize profits. What really maximizes profits is operating in what does amount to a little bit of a legal gray area overseas, but has proven to be perfectly safe for both the, the betters and the sports books. So I don't see these sports books that are currently based overseas coming and being based within the states unless and until you get actual legalized sports betting within that state or if the sports better is within that state again if you're entirely within nevada and you're placing a bet inside of nevada on a computer in nevada then it shouldn't implicate the interstate wire act at all but of course we're in california right now so that's a separate issue <laughs> yeah okay yeah well wow that Sean, thanks for coming on and giving us a master class in sports betting, both federally and for California. Yeah, when's the uh, book coming out? <laughs> write on this. I mean, you pretty much already <laughs> yeah, read, wrote it. You should just transcribe this interview. <laughs> There's your book. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting stuff, honestly. The only problem is I feel like that the end of the book has not been written yet, you know? Like, we're still partway through the story, and I'm waiting to see how it ends. It's It's definitely... It's definitely a story that's unfolding and, and I'm curious to see how it ends. I, if I had to guess though, um, inevitably every state will at some point, um, unless there's a, a, a maybe a political or religious 
factor among the constituency that just opposes gambling for whatever reason. I, I see every state implementing uh, state authorizations of this kind of gambling, mainly because you're leaving money on the table. Like, why is you a state that I have this duty to pay for all of these services and infrastructure for my 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 constituents? Why would I just leave this money on the table and let some other state benefit from it? It doesn't make any sense. And it's really, it's archaic form of thinking to think, you know, there's anything wrong with sports betting, that it's going to draw in, you know, this unsavory crowd or, you know, it's going to bring in the mafia or anything like that. These are outdated principles, which, yes, maybe they were correct in the 1960s or the 50s. They don't apply anymore. You know, look, you guys, you guys are upstanding gentlemen here talking about sports betting. And I think people can recognize that. So eventually the state's you know, one by one are going to have to come to this conclusion. And I think a great analogy for that is when you look at the issue of legalization of marijuana across the states. States are looking at legalization of marijuana as a huge source of tax revenue. It was formally thought of as this horrible thing. It was going to be a detriment to all of our society. It caused all these social harms. And states are eventually coming to the conclusion, wait, it's not quite as bad as we thought it was. In fact, it's really no worse than a lot of other things we already allow. So shit, we might as well allow it, get the tax revenue from it and control it to an extent. I mean, not only is it a tax revenue aspect, but you know, as a state government, you should have an interest in protecting your state citizens. And really it's only through state regulation that the state itself can be, can assure that it's doing that. I mean, they're kind of tacitly allowing things to happen because they don't see a particular harm at this point, but they're not actively protecting, California's not actively protecting California citizens for, you know, from being preyed upon or for fraud and sports betting. They're just kind of just taking a hands-off approach. It really is, should be in the state's best interest and in the best interest of the state's citizens for the government to step in here take some action and reap the rewards from it in the form of the tax revenue. So inevitably that's gonna it's gonna be what happens it's just a matter of time if anything they're kind of allowing fraud and people to be taken advantage by forcing them to bet overseas because your yeah. money you can always be taken i mean that's been taken from them before so yeah. it, they're kind of promoting hey take a chance do it overseas we're not going to stop you from doing it or prevent you from doing it but we're also not going to protect you from if something bad happens to you exactly so yeah, well, my knock hopefully. on wood, hopefully California comes to its senses sooner than later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I I, that, I think that's a good note to end on, the yeah. optimistic <laughs> note. I feel opti <laughs> I feel better now all of a sudden. <laughs> all right. Well, Sean, thanks for coming on and uh and teaching us all that stuff. Really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. It's it great talking to you guys. Sorry if uh kind of went off a little bit into the weeds there. I know it's a little bit different than your normal material, but uh, I hope hope the folks enjoy it and it gives them um, a little bit of a greater appreciation of kind of where we're at in the process and what, what progress still needs to be made. So absolutely. We well learned said. a lot. <laughs>